Footsteps behind you as you enter the woods. Night draws back its cape. Light illumines your path. Open your eyes. Listen. Welcome to Dark Softly Tales. Dark stories for dark hearts. I'm Mav Sky. Good evening and welcome to your nightmares. And to your favorite horror storytelling podcast, Dark Softly Tales, this is your host, Mav. And this week, I will be narrating Robert Browning's poem for you called The Pied Piper of Hamelin. This poem was written several hundred years after the event. And like the Grimm Brothers story, focuses on the rats being the original challenge. Historical documents of the events that happened in Hamelin never mentioned rats. So that is the inclusion that was created hundreds of years after it happened. However, we do know that there was an outsider, a man who wore shiny, colorful clothes and had some kind of musical instrument that seemed to have power to hypnotize people, and for some reason that we'll never know, this man appears to have hypnotized the children and led them away. Some documents state that the magician led the children over Koppelberg Hill, and others say there was a portal inside the hill, like a cave that they walked into, and the portal closed up. Either way, we know that 130 children disappeared that day. I think what I find most fascinating about Robert Browning's poem is that he's really bringing out the law of karma in this story. If you look at the words and the way that he uses them, it is the people who are the rats. And by wanting to enslave and drown the rats, they enslave and drown themselves. And just as the rats are reduced in number, their town is reduced in number by losing their offspring. The archetype of the Pied Piper is something that we've seen in history and in stories before as the trickster or the clown archetype that may or may not have dark motives. And as shown in this story, perhaps the motives of that archetype are determined by the acts of the majority of the people that are in the story or who are included in what's happening. I don't know for sure, but it's something to think about. Now, sit back and relax and enjoy Robert Browning's The Pied Piper from Hamlin. Don't worry, there's nothing to be afraid of. Is there? Take my hand and hang on tight as we journey into the dark, softly. The Pied Piper of Hamelin by Robert Browning Narrated by Mav Sky. 
Hamlin Towns in Brunswick, by famous Hanover City. The river Weezer, deep and wide, washes its wall on the southern side. A pleasanter spot you never spied. But when begins my ditty, almost 500 years ago, to see the townsfolk suffer so, from vermin was a pity. Rats, they fought the dogs and killed the cats and bit the babies in the cradles and ate the cheeses out of the vats and licked the soup from the cook's own ladles. Split open the kegs of salted sprats, made nests inside men's Sunday hats and even spoiled the women's chats by drowning their speaking with shrieking and squeaking in fifty different sharps and flats. At last the people in a body to the town's hall came flocking. "'Tis clear,' cried they, "'our mayor's a naughty. And as for our corporation, shocking, to think we buy gowns lined with ermine for dolts that can't or won't determine what's best to rid us of our vermin.' You hope, because you're old and obese, to find in the furry civic robe ease. Rouse up, sirs. Give your brains a racking to find the remedy we're lacking. Or, sure as fate, we'll send you packing. At this, the mayor and corporation quaked with a mighty consternation. An hour, they sate in council. At length, the mayor broke silence. For a gilder, I'd my ermine gown sell. I wish I were a mile hence. It's easy to bid one, rack one's brain. I'm sure my poor head aches again. I've scratched it so and all in vain. Oh, for a trap, a trap, a trap. Just as he said this, what should hap at the chamber door but a gentle tap? Bless us, cried the mayor. What's that? With the corporation as he sat, looking little through wondrous fat, nor brighter was his eye, nor moister, than a too long opened oyster. Save when at noon his paunch grew mutinous, for a plate of turtle green and glutinous. Only a scraping of shoes on the mat, anything like the sound of a rat makes my heart go pit-pat-pat. Come in, the mayor cried, looking bigger, and in did come the strangest figure. His queer long coat from heel to head was half of yellow and half of red. And he himself was tall and thin, with sharp blue eyes, each like a pin, and light loose hair, yet swarthy skin, no tuft on cheek, nor beard on chin, but lips where smile went out and in. There was no guessing his kith or kin. And nobody could enough admire the tall man and his quaint attire. Quoth one, It's as if my great-grandsire 
starting up at the trump of doom's tone, had walked this way from his painted tombstone. He advanced to the council table and, please your honors, said he, I'm able by means of a secret charm to draw all creatures living beneath the sun that creep or swim or fly or run after me so as you never saw. And I chiefly use my charm on creatures that do people harm, the mole and toad and newt and viper. And people call me the Pied Piper. And here they noticed round his neck a scarf of red and yellow stripe to match with this his coat of the self-same check, and at the scarf's end hung a pipe. And his fingers, they noticed, were ever straying, as if impatient to be playing, upon his pipe, as low it dangled, over his vesture so old-fingled. Yet, said he, poor piper as I am, in tartary I freed the cham, Last June, from his huge swarms of gnats, I eased in Asia the Nizam of a monstrous brood of vampire bats. And as for what your brain bewilders, if I can rid your town of rats, will you give me a thousand guilders? One? Fifty thousand, was the exclamation of the astonished mayor and corporation. Into the street the piper stepped, smiling first a little smile, as if he knew what magic slept in his quiet pipe the while. Then, like a musical adept, to blow the pipe his lips he wrinkled, and his green and blue his sharp eyes twinkled, like a candle flame where salt is sprinkled, and ere three shrill notes the pipe uttered. You heard as if an army muttered, and the muttering grew to a grumbling, and the grumbling grew to a mighty rumbling, and out of the houses the rats came tumbling. Great rats, small rats, lean rats, brawny rats, brown rats, Black rats, gray rats, tawny rats, grave old plotters, gay young friskers, fathers, mothers, uncles, cousins, cocking tails and pricking whiskers, families by tens and dozens, brothers, sisters, husbands, wives, followed the piper for their lives. From street to street he piped advancing, and step for step they followed dancing, until they came to the river Weezer, wherein all plunged and perished. Save one who, stout as Julius Caesar, swam across and lived to carry, as he, the manuscript he cherished, to Ratland, home his commentary, which was... At the first shrill notes of the pipe, I heard a sound of a scraping tripe, 
and putting apples wondrous ripe into a cider press's gripe. And a moving away of pickle tub boards, and a leaving ajar of conserved cupboards, and a drawing the corks of train oil flasks, and a breaking the hoops of butter casks. And it seemed as if a voice, sweeter far than by harp or by psaltery is breathed, called out, O oh, rats, rejoice! The world is grown to one vast dry psaltery. So munch on, crunch on, take your nunchion. Breakfast, supper, dinner, luncheon, and just as a bulky sugar puncheon. Already staved like a great sun shone, glorious, scarce, an inch before me. Just as methought it said, come and bore me, I found the weezer rolling o'er me. You should have heard the Hamlin people ringing the bells till they rock the steeple. Go, cried the mayor, and get long poles. Poke out the nests, then block up the holes. Consult with carpenters and builders, and leave in our town not even a trace of the rats. When suddenly up the face of the piper perked in the marketplace, with a, first if you please, my thousand guilders. A thousand guilders? The mayor looked blue. So did the corporation, too. For council dinners made rare havoc, with Claret, Moselle, Van de Gove, Huck, and half the money would replenish their cellar's biggest butt with Rhenish. To pay this sum to a wandering fellow with a gypsy coat of red and yellow. Beside, quoth the mayor with a knowing wink, our business was done at the river's brink. We saw with our eyes the vermin sink, and what's dead can't come to life, I think. So, friend, we're not the folks to shrink from the duty of giving you something to drink and a matter of money to put in your poke. But as for the guilders and what we spoke of them, as you know very well, was in joke. <laughs> Besides, our losses have made us thrifty. A thousand guilders. Hmm. Come, take fifty. The piper's face fell, and he cried, No trifling, I can't wait. Besides, I've promised to visit by dinner time Baghdad, and accept the prime of the head cook's pottage, all he's rich in, for having left in the caliph's kitchen. Of a nest of scorpions, no survivor. With him I proved no bargain driver. With you, don't think I'll bait a stiver. And folks who put me in a passion may find me pipe after another fashion. How? cried the mayor. Do you think I brook being worse treated than a cook? Insulted by a lazy ribald, 
with idle pipe and vesture of piebald. You threaten us, fellow? Do your worst. Blow your little pipe there till you burst. Once more, he stepped into the street, and to his lips again laid his long pipe of smooth straight cane, and ere he blew three notes, such sweet soft notes as yet musicians cunning never gave the enraptured air. There was a rustling that seemed like a bustling of merry crowds jostling at pitching and hustling. Small feet were pattering, wooden shoes clattering, little hands clapping and little tongues chattering, and like fowls in a farmyard when barley is scattering, out came the children running. All the little boys and girls, with rosy cheeks and flaxen curls, and sparkling eyes and teeth like pearls, tripping and skipping, ran merrily after the wonderful music with shouting and laughter. The mayor was dumb, and the council stood, as if they were changed into blocks of wood, unable to move a step or cry, to the children merrily skipping by, could only follow with the eye that joyous crowd at the piper's back. But how the mayor was on the rack and the wretched council's bosoms beat, as the piper turned from the high street to where the weezer rolled its waters right in the way of their sons and daughters. However, he turned from south to west and to Koppelberg Hill his steps addressed. And after him the children pressed. Great was the joy in every breast. He ne'er can cross that mighty top. He's forced to let the piping drop. And we shall see our children stop. When, lo, as they reached the mountain's side, a wondrous portal opened wide, as if a cavern was suddenly hollowed. And the piper advanced, and the children followed. And when all were in to the very last, the door in the mountainside shut fast. Did I say all? No. One was lame and could not dance the whole of the way. And in after years, if you would blame his sadness, he was used to say, It's dull in our town since my playmates left. I can't forget that I'm bereft. Of all the pleasant sights they see, which the piper also promised me. For he led us, he said, to a joyous land, joining the town and just at hand, where waters gushed and fruit trees grew, and flowers put forth a fairer hue, and everything was strange and new. The sparrows were brighter than peacocks here, 
and their dogs outran our fallow deer. And honeybees had lost their stings, and horses were born with eagle's wings. And just as I became assured, my lame foot would be speedily cured. The music stopped, and I stood still, and found myself outside the hill. Left alone against my will, to go now limping as before, and never hear of that country more. Alas, alas for Hamlin, there came into many a burger's plate a text which say that heaven's gate opes to the rich at an easy rate as a needle's eye takes a camel in. The mayor sent east, west, north, and south to offer the piper by word of mouth. Wherever it was men's lot to find him, silver and gold to his heart's content, if only he'd return the way he went and bring the children behind him. But when they saw it was a lost endeavor, and Piper and dancers were gone forever, and they made a decree that lawyers never should think their records dated duly, if after the day of the month and year these words did not as well appear. And so long after what happened here, on the 22nd of July, 1376, and a better in memory to fix, the place of the children's last retreat, they called it the Pied Piper Street, where anyone playing on pipe or tabor was sure for the future to lose his labor, nor suffered the holstery or tavern to shock with mirth a street so solemn. But opposite the place of the cavern, they wrote the story on a column. And on the great church window painted, the same to make the world acquainted, how their children were stolen away. And there it stands to this very day. And I must not omit to say that in Transylvania there's a tribe of alien people that ascribe the outlandish ways and dress on which their neighbors lay such stress to their fathers and mothers having risen out of some subterraneous prison into which they were trepanned long time ago in a mighty band out of the Hamlin town in Brunswick land. But how or why they don't understand.